This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Since the release of the very first horror movie in 1896, a three-minute French short called The Devil's Castle, audiences have craved a good scare. The film depicts an encounter with the devil, a theme that has resonated so successfully with audiences over the years that it gave birth to an entire genre. Spiritual horror films have only grown in popularity in recent years, with films like The Exorcist, The Omen, Rosemary's Baby, and more recently, The Conjuring. These movies terrify people with the thought that the devil can not only live among us, but can possess us and control us. But what should scare you more than these movies is knowing that they're not all Hollywood fiction. For example, the film The Exorcism of Emily Rose is actually based on the true story of the exorcism of Annalise Miko. My name is Eric Crosby. Welcome to True. Anne Elizabeth Miko, otherwise known as Annalise, was born in Bavaria, Germany in September 1952. She was the second of five girls for parents Joseph and Anna. Like many in Bavaria, she was raised Catholic. Her family took their faith very seriously and were strict in their approach. From early childhood, Annalise went to Mass twice a week and prayed the Rosary every day. In 1968, just as she turned 16, Annalise suffered her first seizure. She was sitting next to a friend when she suddenly passed out. Luckily, Annalise quickly came to and simply assumed that she was tired but later that night, she woke up and was unable to move. She felt pinned down to her bed, like something was pressing on her chest. She found it difficult to breathe and felt herself wetting the bed. Annalise tried to wake her sister in the nearby bed, but her tongue was paralyzed and she was unable to speak. Within a few minutes, the pressure lifted. Annalise was sore and could barely move, but she was able to change the sheets on her bed and go back to sleep. In the morning, she told her mother what had happened, but the episode was basically ignored. Almost a year later, in August 1969, Annalise suffered her second seizure. The pattern was similar to her first one. In the afternoon, she passed out, and later that evening, she was overcome with sleep paralysis. Her arms were completely stiff. She wet her bed and couldn't breathe or call for help. Like the first time, the episode lasted a few minutes. Then she felt the pressure lift and was able to clean up and go back to bed. There was now a pattern and her mother had reason to be concerned. They went to see their local physician, Dr. Vogt. He referred her to a neurologist Dr. Siegfried Luthi, who ran a number of tests, 
but ultimately found nothing wrong with Annalise. The two doctors hypothesized that she was likely suffering from cerebral seizures due to temporal lobe epilepsy, but no drugs or treatments were prescribed. One year later, in June 1970, Annalise suffered her third seizure. Another neurologist examined her, and although an EEG showed normal brain activity, Annalise was prescribed anticonvulsant medication. In June 1972, after another seizure, Annalise had another EEG. It showed, again, no irregularities. She was prescribed an anti-seizure medication used to treat epilepsy, but its side effects can impact the central nervous system and cause headaches and insomnia. By 1973, Annalise was diagnosed with epilepsy and was put on even stronger anti-seizure medication. So that's the medical side of things. But on the psychological or potentially spiritual side of the story, all was not well. Around the time of her third seizure, Annalise began having the visions that would plague her for the rest of her life. She saw ghastly demonic faces, but despite medical treatment, her visions did not stop. By September 1973, Annalise told the neurologist, Dr. Luthi, of her demonic visions and that she felt the devil was inside her. She said she could often smell burnt fecal matter which no one else could smell. She was having audible hallucinations as well, hearing knocking noises in her house and voices telling her that she was damned and would rot in hell. Annalise's mother said that Dr. Luthi recommended they consult a Jesuit priest, but Dr. Luthi would go on to deny this and said he would only recommend another medical professional. Annalise's extremely religious mother began to think that she was possessed. She said she saw Annalise, quote, standing before their statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary, with her face full of hatred and her eyes jet black. After years of unsuccessful medical treatments, Annalise was depressed and suicidal. Her parents decided that prayer was the best medicine and organized a pilgrimage to the shrine in San Damiano, Italy. But when they arrived, Annalise could not enter the shrine because the soil burned like fire under her feet. She was unable to walk past a crucifix. She had to turn away from pictures of Christ and the saints because they, quote, sparkled so immensely that she could not stand it. And when she was offered holy water, Annalise refused to drink it because she said it smelled bad. Her father bought her a religious medal, but Annalise couldn't wear it because it pressed so hard on her chest that it suffocated her. Thea Hine, a family friend who accompanied the Meekles on the pilgrimage, saw these as signs that the girl was possessed. Starting in the summer of 1973, and over the next two years, Annalise began to meet with a number of Catholic priests. She first met with Father Ernst Alt, who himself claimed to be psychic 
and had the ability to tell if someone was possessed. At the other end of the spectrum, she met with Father Herman, who believed she had a medical condition and needed to continue to see her doctors. When Annalise asked the church for an exorcism, Father Herman said he believed she was normal and shy, but did not show any signs of possession. There are specific signs. For example, if a person has an aversion to walking into a church and not being able to view uh, a crucifix or an image of Christ. Another sign could very well be if a person possesses um, a competency in a language that they otherwise couldn't speak. They can take on a serpentine look and coil up in a very serpentine body language manner. And I've seen that happen. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. By July 1975, Annalise's condition was extreme. She tore her clothes off, urinated on the floor, and attacked and insulted her family. She crawled on all fours and barked like a dog underneath a table for two days. She was even described as having superhuman strength, supposedly throwing her sister across the room, quote, as if she were a ragdoll. Annalise prayed all night and her attack on religious symbols continued as she knocked images of Jesus off the wall, broke rosaries, and smashed crucifixes. Annalise's physical appearance changed significantly as she stopped eating. She had bruises on her face, swollen cheeks, black eyes, and a sunken face. Another Catholic priest, Father Rodowick, an expert in exorcisms, determined that she was possessed. He wrote to Joseph Stengel, the Bishop of Würzburg, and recommended an exorcism. On September 15, 1975, Bishop Stengel granted the right to perform an exorcism, to be carried out by Father Arnold Renz and Father Ernst Alt. But he required that the exorcisms be carried out in secret. Father Renz and Alt conducted Annalise's first exorcism on September 24, 1975. It was the first of 67 exorcisms, and it was just like the movies. When splashed with holy water, Annalise screamed and cursed. She became physical and had to be held down or chained to the bed. Renz and Alt conducted one to two exorcisms a week over approximately 10 months. The sessions lasted up to four hours. 
Brents made 43 audio recordings of the sessions, where you can hear the priests asking Annalise, or rather her possessors, questions, and Annalise replying in a demonic, guttural, and growling voice. Renz and Alt believe that there were six demons possessing Annalise, including Lucifer, Judas, Cain, Nero, Hitler, and a disgraced priest from the 16th century named Valentin Fleshman. During one of the tapings of the exorcism, when Father Renz commanded Annalise to, quote, say your name, Annalise growled, quote, I, Judas, Nero, Cain, and Hitler. That's five of us. Renz asked, quote, who's the sixth? And Annalise replied, we lied about him. An unknown woman in the room then asked, Lucifer? And Father Renz echoed Annalise and said, you lied about him? During the exorcisms, the priests had conversations with the various demons. At one point, Wren said, quote, Is Judas not in there today? Is he tight-lipped today? Annalise replied, Yes. Wren said, And Cain also has nothing to say to us? Annalise replied, no. Wren uh, uh, said, and Nero? Annalise said, quote, he doesn't know much, the stupid pig. Wren said, and Hitler? Annalise replied, he can only run off at the mouth. At another point in the tapes, Father Wren says, why are you at all here? Annalise growls, I have the right to be in this woman. Renz questions, in what woman? She says, in this one, here. She later goes on to say, quote, she is never the same anyway, because I'm hanging out in here along with the others. Towards the end of the tapes, Annalise says, quote, I will carry this brat so long until she croaks, this dumbass bitch. Ren says, quote, Why are you still staying here? Annalise says, Because I like it, and then starts to laugh. <laughs> Throughout the ten months when the exorcisms took place, Annalise's seizures worsened, but she was refusing medical treatment. She also refused to eat or drink, saying the demons wouldn't let her, and talked about dying to atone for, quote, the wayward youth of the day and the apostate priests of the modern church. Annalise's last exorcism took place on June 30th, 1976. By this point, she was completely emaciated and suffering from pneumonia and a high fever. She was too weak to move and needed help from her parents. In her last recording, she simply begged for absolution. 
The following morning, her mother found 23-year-old Annalise dead in her room. She weighed only 68 pounds, and her autopsy said she died of starvation. The autopsy also showed that she was severely malnourished and dehydrated. She had broken teeth, black eyes, and broken knees from kneeling so much during prayers. Curiously, the autopsy also showed that Annalise had a normal healthy brain, and there was no damage that would cause epileptic seizures. Additionally, her body had no ulcers, which are usually present on victims of starvation. After an investigation, it was determined that Annalise's death could have been prevented up to one week before she died. Because of this, Father Alt, Father Renz, and Annalise's parents were all charged with negligent homicide. Bishop Joseph Stengel, who approved the exorcism, was not charged, despite having been in contact with both priests throughout the entire ordeal. He claimed that he was not aware of Annalise's medical or mental conditions. The case went to trial in the spring of 1978 and quickly became a spectacle. The priests and her parents were defended by one of Germany's top lawyers, who had previously defended people in Nazi war crime trials. His fees were covered by the church. The defense's position was that exorcism is legal in Germany, and that the German constitution permits people to exercise their religious beliefs. The defense submitted the audio recordings of the exorcisms to support their position that Annalise was possessed. Annalise's parents also told the court that they believed she was possessed. They had hoped to validate this a few months earlier, when they exhumed Annalise's body. A nun told them she had a vision, that Annalise's body was intact, and that this was proof of the possession. But when the body was dug up, it was decomposing naturally. The exhumation had attracted hundreds of spectators. Both priests also told the court that they fully believed Annalise was possessed, and that her death freed her. On the non-religious side of the argument, the defense argued that Annalise was permitted to deny medical treatment, which she actively did. In fact, Father Alt did seek medical treatment for Annalise in May 1976 from his friend, Dr. Richard Roth, who attended some of the exorcisms. Dr. Roth supposedly said, quote, There is no injection against the devil, Annalise. But he later denied saying this. On the other side of the story, the prosecution said that Annalise had psychosis and epilepsy. They said that because of this, she was unable to request medical help, and that her parents and priests were responsible for getting it for her. The prosecution said the medication she was taking was suppressing her seizures, but in turn caused, quote, a delusional psychosis that's associated with epilepsy. The prosecutors argued that Annalise's psychosis was amplified by the exorcisms. I have never met a psychiatrist that came to the conclusion the person was possessed by a demon. We're diagnosing diseases now with brain scans that we couldn't diagnose even two and three years ago. What will happen in four or five years? The brain is an incredibly complicated organ. Uh, but the fact that some priest using 12th century technology can cure somebody is absurd. People who are in that kind of condition are oftentimes potentially suicidal, and if they're not getting the proper treatment, they could kill themselves. 
The priests offered Annalise the contents and forms of psychotic behavior. As a result, they later accepted this behavior of a person possessed by the devil. It wasn't demons that influenced her psychosis. It was the exorcisms supporting her personal fantasies that she was possessed. The prosecution also called out Father Alt's own mental condition. A psychiatrist at the trial described him as having, quote, an abnormal personality in the wildest sense of the term, and suggested that Father Alt himself may have had schizophrenia. The prosecution was walking a fine line. They wanted a guilty verdict to prevent any future exorcism attempts. However, they were also cognizant that they were prosecuting the Catholic Church. They requested a light sentence for all involved, suggesting the priests be fined, but that the parents not receive any punishment, since they'd already suffered enough from the loss of their daughter. The court came down harder than the prosecution asked. Annalise's parents and both priests were found guilty and were sentenced to six months in jail. The priests also received a three-year suspension. The court ruled that Annalise should have been forced to receive medical care, as she was unable to make decisions for herself. The judge stated that all parties involved truly believed that Annalise was possessed, but they should have known she needed medical treatment. Quote, this belief does not exclude recognizing other facts, too. In her short life, Annalise clearly suffered from a number of mental health issues. People have hypothesized diagnoses ranging from schizophrenia to dissociative disorders to issues stemming from the powerful seizure medications she was taking. And the question has become, how much did the beliefs of the people and events around her influence her assertion that she was possessed? Her mother was extremely religious. Father Alt believed he could tell who was under the influence of a demon just by looking at them. And in the middle of all of her exorcisms, the film The Exorcist was released, quickly becoming one of the most popular horror films of all time and changing the way the world thought about possession. The power of Christ compels you! The power of Christ compels you! The power of Christ compels you! After the trial, a group of German theologians formed a commission to review the almost 400-year-old exorcism rite, and in 1984, they petitioned Rome to change it. They argued that in the rite, the exorcist spoke directly to the devil by saying, quote, I command thee, unclean spirit. What they uncovered from Annalise's case was that, for people with mental health issues, calling them the devil may support exactly what they believe and end up causing more damage. However, when Rome changed the exorcism formula in 1999, they did not remove this language. But in their newly issued guidelines, they do require that the person supposedly possessed be evaluated by medical professionals to rule out mental illness. Today, exorcisms are growing in popularity. 
Fifteen years ago, there were about 12 American priests approved by the Vatican to perform exorcisms. Today, there are more than a hundred. In 2018, the church hosted a summit to train priests on how to perform exorcisms. Around the same time, the handbook that outlines the exorcism rite was translated into English for the first time since it was written in 1617. Luckily, Father Vince Lampert, an American priest who has conducted over 40 exorcisms, said in an interview that, quote, true cases of demonic possession are extremely rare. He said he gets about 2,000 requests a year, but only about 10% of them are worth investigating. That is still 200 potential cases a year in one region. Satan is a pure spirit. He's an angel who fell. When I've been involved in the ministry of, of exorcism and at times prayed with people who have had a demonic attachment, I have seen Satan. True is a production of Imperative Entertainment. This episode of True was researched and written by Haley Gray. The executive producer is Jason Hoke of Imperative Entertainment. The cover art and design were created by Jenna Sullivan. True was created and is produced by me. Have any comments or questions? Email us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. As always, a huge thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode. Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.